You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. How are we doing? Well, welcome to, uh, welcome to Overflow. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name's, my name's Austin Wadlow, and uh, I'm the college pastor at First Baptist Church. And uh, it's so exciting to be here tonight. Uh, you know, normally we have overflow at First Baptist Church every Tuesday night at 8. We'll be back there next week. Uh, but uh, let me introduce somebody else to you. This is my man, Midge. Y'all say, what's up, Midge? What up, Midge? Did you hear that? They're talking to you. He's like shaking. Uh, so Midge, uh, full name Midge Wadlow. Uh, so, so Midge was actually, uh, you know, my wife Leslie, she and I have been married for uh, about four and a half months now, a little over that. Uh, this was her dog before. We got married. Now it's, it's my dog too. And um, man, he's the coolest dog. So I wanted to bring him out here tonight uh, for, for a few reasons, but let me just kind of tell you about him. First, first of all, how I got to know Midge was, so when I first started uh, you know, being interested in, in that, my now wife, Leslie, uh, I, I very early on found out as I was getting to know her that she has a dog. This is, uh, he's, a, he's a miniature Australian shepherd. Um, and uh, you know, any smart guy knows that the quickest way to a woman's heart is through her dog. Uh, yeah, so I started to, uh, I started to get to, to know her and I'm thinking, okay, so she's got this dog. Um, so if I'm going to pursue Leslie, I need to pursue her dog. Uh, I know, I know the relationship series starts next week. Uh, it, so come to that, but this is kind of a little, you know, uh, I guess extra tips here. Quickest way to woman's heart is through a dog. So I started pursuing her dog and, uh, you know, anytime we were together, like I, I tried to, you know, love this dog, pick him up, hold him, you know, uh, get him to where he was really comfortable around me. Minister Ozzy's uh, are kind of skittish sometimes. Uh, I'm surprised he's like not totally, you know, shivering right now. But uh, yeah, and so I, I tried to get to where he, you know, uh, would, would, would like being around me and uh, play with him a lot, you know, act like I love him. Oh, I just love you so much. I do. I love you so much. He's like, what are you doing, man? You never do that. Uh, but even to the point where, you know, there was, there was one time, for example, this is a tip, guys, pursuing a girl, uh, quick sweater, hearts through a dog. One time I knew Leslie was going to be working all day. And so uh, I went to the, the house that she was living at the time and had her roommates let me in. And I kidnapped Midge, uh, dog napped, puppy napped Midge, and uh, took him to the dog park and uh, played with him at the dog park and took a lot of video and pictures and started sending them to Leslie. She didn't know I was going to take the dog to the dog park. So I start sending her these pictures. And of course, she starts texting back, oh, you know, oh my gosh, you're playing with my dog. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> The evil plan is working. We can go now, Midge. Take you back to your kennel. Um, but, uh, you know, now it's cool, you know, being, being married. He's, he's become my dog. And she, he's still, you know, ultimately Leslie's dog. You know, Leslie, uh, I mean, he, 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 in fact, I think he spotted her. Uh, but uh, one of the cool things about him is, so when I study, I do all of our studying in our, our apartment. We have a, a two-bedroom apartment. One of the bedrooms we've kind of turned into uh, the, the room with all my books. And it's kind of our study. We... we we share, that's where I do all my sermon prep and some other studying. And whenever I'm in there, it doesn't matter what's happening in the rest of the apartment, he's always in there at my feet. Uh, I guess he just likes being in the presence of, you know, me and the Lord talking or whatever. I don't know. But uh, uh, he's always in there. But uh, I brought him out here for this reason. I, I, and I don't know if this is going to work, but I want you to see what happens when, uh, when Midge sees his tennis ball. Um, now, he's never been in front of this many people before on a stage. So uh, let me see if I can get my tennis ball out here or his tennis ball out. Um, I want you to see what happens when he sees this tennis ball. Hopefully, if it doesn't work, I'll just, you know, well, shame on you. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens here. Hey, hey, come here, buddy. Come here. Hey, hey, look, hey. Ooh. Yeah, it ain't working. 
hey, look at this ball. Look, hey, Mitch, Mitch, look. I don't think it's going to work, people. He is, uh, he's a little shy. Here, you ready? Ready? He like, now when we take him to the dog park and he sees this tennis ball, um, or his, we lost both of his favorite Frisbees. Um, but, uh, so now he like, loves this tennis ball. When we take him to the dog park, there could be like 50 dogs there. And if he's got that tennis ball, then, uh, oh, that was great. <laughs> My bad, dude. Hey, will you grab that, Andrew? Uh, Man, he will chase that thing, and uh, he'll, I mean, it's like he locks in on it so much to where, uh, I mean, it's like the other dogs don't even exist. Uh, uh, he'll be like weaving in and out of, you know, 30, 40, 50 dogs. They're all like trying to play with him, and he's not even looking at them, doesn't even know they're there. All he's focused on in his ball is his, is his uh, tennis ball or frisbee. Andrew, what's the deal, man? You can't find it? Come on, come back, buddy. <laughs> that was good. Uh, There we go. Hey, look, there's a ball. Ready? Go get it. There we go. So he'll play with it for a little bit here. But um, you ready? Okay. So that's pretty good. Like he's, you know, that's, that's, that's not bad. Uh, any, anyways, I just want you to see how he, he locks in on this ball. And uh, I mean, literally. <laughs> what the heck, dude? Ready? He's like, oh, what's, what's wrong with him over there? You know, you're, uh, get it, look, there's your ball, dig it. Get it, go get it. Anyways, he locks in and uh, doesn't think about anything else. Now, this is a, a unique scenario, and, and, you know, so you can see he's pretty locked in. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's fun, it's cool, but it's also kind of scary. The other day, I was, I was throwing the ball with him out in our, our apartment area, and it took a bad hop, and it ended up going into the parking lot. And uh, I mean, this ball, like, you know, was, was flying and he locks into the point where he doesn't pay attention where that ball's going. He doesn't pay attention to his surroundings. So it, it, the ball darts into the parking lot. He takes off in a dead sprint after the ball. He knows he's not allowed in the parking lot. But again, tennis ball, nothing else matters. I'm yelling at him to come back. He doesn't even hear me. He's going after that ball in the parking lot. And, uh, and it terrified me, Leslie was out there, it terrified her because our parking lot's really busy. And I know if he's chasing his ball, there could be 17 cars coming. He's not going to see a single one because he's still locked in on that ball. Uh, and we'd be devastated. We would be devastated if something happened to this little guy. Wouldn't we be devastated? We'd be devastated. We love this little dude. Um, a couple of years before I met Leslie, she took Midge with her family to, uh, his name's Midge. Oh, I already told you that. Uh, <laughs> She took Midge with her family to New Mexico. They were staying in this, uh, in this house up in the mountains in New Mexico, pretty, pretty isolated area. And, uh, and I think Leslie and most of her family went out shopping, and her dad stayed at home at this place. And they had a few dogs there. Midge was one of them. And so he let the dogs uh, out. I just realized how that sounded. Come on, coming, coming out of my mouth. Who let the dogs out? Anybody? Okay, whatever. I'm old. Um, anyways... Uh, so he, he, let, he let them outside, and there's kind of like this fenced-in patio area. And he forgot that he left them out there. Well, Midge was the smallest of the dogs, and somehow he figured his way uh, out of the little fence. And, uh, and so he just he, he ran off. Now, our speculation is he saw a bird or a squirrel or a rabbit or an elk or a bear or something. Uh, he sees stuff. He likes to chase it. And so he takes off, uh, takes off chasing whatever it was and disappeared. So her dad goes out there a few hours later, remembering that the dogs were out there and, and Midge is gone. So he calls Leslie and them like, hey, Midge is gone. So they, they come back to the house. And again, they're up in the mountains, okay? Pretty isolated. And they look 
all afternoon and they don't find them. So it gets to where it's dark. It's no point in looking anymore. So uh, yeah, they, they just went to bed and figured that Midge was, figured that Midge was gone. And uh, so he spent an entire night out in the wild. I guess Midge is like a little version of Bear Grylls or something. Survived. This was in the winter. Okay. There's like bears up in these mountains. There was snow on the ground. And uh, the next day somebody found him, called their vet. The vet called them and they you know, they got Midge back. But man, it would have been so devastating to lose him. What's crazy is, again, this is how he got lost. He's out there. Uh, he's chilling now. I might just be able to leave him up here. I don't know. We'll see. Too distracting. Uh, what happened was he was out there with the other dogs, but he got locked in on a bird or a squirrel or whatever it was, and he took off chasing it, not paying attention at all to where he was going. Um, so hold that thought and y'all, uh, y'all give it up for Midge. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give him back to his mama. Leslie, will you, will you call him over there? He's a cool little dude. Listen, is this not how sin works in our lives? So thinking about Midge. So he, something grabbed his attention, something stole his attention, stole his focus, stole his affections, essentially away from his master. When I was throwing that tennis ball, took off in the parking lot, I'm yelling, but he was so locked in on that tennis ball. His affections, his attention, his focus had been stolen away from his master. Out in New Mexico, he's, uh, he's locked into this fence, you know, but he found a way out because he got locked in on this bird or this squirrel, whatever it was, chases it not paying attention to where it's going. Isn't this how sin works in our life? Something grabs our attention. Something grabs or steals our affections, our focus away ultimately from our master. And we chase that thing, whatever it is, wherever it leads us, becoming completely unaware of our surroundings and and, and where ultimately it's leading us to. Then suddenly, after we've been chasing it for a while, we finally look up. We finally realize that we haven't looked up in a while. And by the time we finally look up, we realize that we are... We don't even know where we are. We're lost. And we're not even sure how to get back. We have no idea how to get back. Listen, is this not the story of potentially many people in this room tonight? You know, the series that we're doing, uh, as you see on the screen, this is the last night of the series. If you've been with us the first four weeks of Overflow, we've been doing a series called Eclipse. What happens when the world gets in the way? And tonight I want to ask this question. What does happen when the world gets in the way? I mean, what, what happens when the world has gotten in the way? And here's what I mean. Like what happens when, when like you have totally screwed up? What happens when, you, when, you, when you're lost? Like you have made some decisions that maybe in your mind you feel like you've basically ruined your life. What happens when you feel like you've wandered so far and it doesn't feel like there's any hope? What happens? Some of you this summer uh, took a, a real big toll on your relationship with Christ. Those of you who would say you have faith in Christ, some of you this summer took a huge toll in your relationship with Christ. You go back home for the summer, so you reconnected with some old friends and potentially reconnected with some old habits. Some of you connected with some new people. Some of you, you know, maybe you're here surrounded by church community, surrounded by the believers, but you go home, you don't have that. And so suddenly, like, you're outside of that accountability. You're outside of that challenge and that encouragement. So you fall into patterns and habits that maybe you've never fallen into before. Some of you go home, you know, just one stupid night, making some stupid decisions, hooking up with somebody random or whatever, and something happens where you're like, crud, like, how do I come back from that? Like some of you this summer, you didn't just take a break from school, you took a break from God. 
You know, some of you, you're, you're here tonight because you're looking for someone to throw you a life preserver. You feel like you're drowning. You know, maybe your story is last year you pledged a fraternity or a sorority and, and, and you dove straight into this college life expecting it to be amazing. Expecting it to be amazing. After you're into it for a few months or a year, you realize that, man, it's not as amazing as I thought it was going to be. It's not as satisfying as I thought it was going to be. And, and, and by that point, though, you've already made some terrible decisions that you cannot put into reverse. And so now you're drowning or you feel like you're drowning in the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment, maybe the anger that's come from some of those decisions. Some of you, you are enslaved to pornography. You're enslaved to the sexual urges that you have. And listen, it makes you sick. What I mean by that is like, it makes you sick, the things that you're looking at, the things that you're thinking about, even the things that you're doing, yet you're enslaved to it. So even this stuff that makes you sick, it's like you, it's, it controls you. So even though it makes you sick, you're still falling back into this continual repeating pattern of giving into this stuff that makes you sick. You know, some of you are living a life of lies, honestly, lies about yourself, lies about others, whatever your situation is. So many people in here feel so lost beyond ever being found. For you, it's not a matter of what happens when or if the world gets in the way, this future tense sort of thing. For you, it's a matter of what happens when the world has gotten in the way because it has, it has. Let me just tell you tonight, I'm so excited to be in here on campus uh, preaching this message because I have no doubt, I'm, I'm confident that there are many people in here described just as I have described like that, that everything I've just said describes you. And tonight I want to look at Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse three. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we've been in the Lyceum one time before it was last April. And, uh, last April I preached from Luke 15 and, and, uh, this date was not a solid date when we were planning our series and everything. And uh, so by the time we got this date, it was already like pretty much solidified. We're going to be preaching from Luke 15 this week. And I I was thinking about this. It's a different set of verses in Luke 15 um, this time around. But I was thinking about that uh, this week, thinking, hmm, I think it's interesting the Lord maybe planned it that way. I wonder if this is uh, a a common message that needs to be heard again um, here on this campus. So Luke 15, beginning in verse 3, says this. So he told them a parable, he being Jesus. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you... Having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So again, if you've been with us the past four weeks, we're dealing with another parable here. And, uh, and, and parables are stories that, that Jesus would use to explain bigger, deeper truths. And as we've seen in these parables, almost always the people and the things in these parables represent something in that bigger, deeper truth. So let's just get after it tonight. We are the sheep in this parable. It's pretty obvious that in this parable, we're the sheep. And there's some huge implications that come with being a sheep. Implication number one is sheep are weak. So turn to your neighbor and say, bro, you're weak. Some of y'all jumped at that a little bit too quick. Sheep are weak. Now think about this. Like when you're a little kid, when you're a little kid and you're you're elementary recess, you know, whatever happened to recess? Why don't we have that now? You know, big college size playgrounds. 
Yeah, that's, I got to preach to that or come on to that. Um, you know, elementary school recess. Th- think about this. You, you go outside, you play in little I don't know if you remember doing this, but little kids love, uh, they have these big imaginations. They play games like they just create scenarios. And one of the, one of the things that little kids play all the time is they want to be like animals. You ever remember doing that? Like pretending you're an animal? Some of you are like, yeah, I did yesterday. Uh, it's a little weird, but whatever. Um, yeah, little kids love to pretend like they're animals. You know, if you don't remember doing that yourself, surely... In the past few years, you've seen a little kid doing that, running around roaring like a lion or something like that. But you never see a kid in a game like that who's like, ooh, I want to be a sheep. <laughs> Meh, running around, Meh. You never see that. In fact, Leslie, if one of our kids, when we have kids one day, does that, like, it's like, hey, mom, dad, let's play like our animals. And like, I want to be a sheep. That kid is indefinitely grounded. Uh, we will not have that kind of underachiever in our household. <laughs> Boys are always like, man, I want to be a lion. Yeah. Right? Ironically, a girl was like, yeah. Uh, I love it. Good job. Uh, yeah, boys, they want to be, be lions, powerful. Or they'll be like, I want to be a cheetah. I can, run, I, can, I, I can outrun all y'all. Girls are like, I'm a gazelle. Come chase me, lion. Come on. Uh, but nobody says they want to be a sheep. And listen, this is, this is the problem. This is the problem. See, most of us, we act like in life we're lions. Powerful, indestructible, invincible. And this is where we go wrong acting like we're lions, thinking that way, acting that way. That's where we go wrong. Dudes, especially, we want to be powerful. We want to be the lion. We're like, I'm indestructible. I'm invincible. Beer me. And then we go do something stupid and crazy and make a terrible decision. You know, I had my fraternity in college, um, which that's a whole nother story why I was in a fraternity in college. Um, share it with you sometime. Uh, but in my fraternity, in my college, there was a guy, uh, everybody called him squirrel. I don't know why everybody called him squirrel. Um, and he loved, he, I mean, he was like, you know, Mr. Party and, uh, man, one year after he graduated, one year after college, one year after I graduated, he may have been a year older than me. He was at one of the school parties, goes out, gets crazy drunk. And he was this guy who was like, I'm a lion. I'm indestructible. I'm invincible, which is ironic because he was kind of a scrawny dude, but it's like, man, I'm a lion. I'm indestructible. I'm, 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 in, I'm, I'm invincible. You know, guys make decisions that at least, maybe they aren't walking around telling people I'm a lion, but they act like they are. You know what I'm saying. And so, <laughs> all right, ladies. Uh, goes out, get, gets crazy drunk, and then there's this river that ran through our campus everybody would go floating on. And one night, after partying half the night, he's like, I'm going to go out and float the river. I'm a lion. I'm indestructible. I'm invincible. Next day, they found his body washed up on the shore. He had drowned. See, where we go wrong is we don't realize we're sheep, and sheep are weak. Sheep are weak. That's the first implication of being a sheep. The second implication is that sheep are safest when they stick with the flock. See, a sheep is most vulnerable when it strays away from the flock. A sheep is most vulnerable to attack when it wanders away or gets separated from the flock. Listen, you are most vulnerable to be attacked, to fall into sin, however you want to phrase it, when you wander away from the flock. Please notice this. Sin never, almost never lures you into community. I'll say it again. Sin rarely ever lures you into community. Sin almost always lures you into isolation. You know why that happens? It's because the devil's not dumb. He knows where you're most vulnerable. And that's when you're separated from the flock. Every single one of us in this room needs community. Like God gave us the church, not just as this this growth mechanism or, or growth measure in our life. 
God gave us the church as a protective measure in our life because he knows we are safest when we're with the flock. Sheep are weak, right? Power in numbers. Listen, listen, you need to be in a small group of believers. You need to be in an intentional, committed, small group with believers. It's great you've come to this event. I love this. This is awesome. But, but, but this is not really a flock. You need to be in a flock. And I'm just going to give a shameless plug right now. Tonight is the last night uh, to sign up for one of our communities for overflow. We have 23 communities. Nine are already closed, already full. 14 are still open. Some meet on this campus. Some meet on T-Dub's campus. How many T-Dub people we have here tonight? Nice. Cool. All right. Thanks. Uh, We have some that meet at T-Dub's campus. We have some that meet in apartments or homes around these campuses. Um, And tonight's the last night to sign up. You need to be in a small group. And listen, we're not the only ones who offer small groups, but whatever small group it is, whether it's through Overflow or through uh, your your home church or, or whatever it is, it needs to be one that is centered around Christ, centered around his word, centered around holding each other accountable, centered around challenging each other, not just this superficial, let's skip rocks across the service uh, conversations. You need to be in a small group. Um, the way that you do that here is, uh, in fact, I do not care if you do this right now. I would love for you to do this right now. Get on our website, overflowdenton.org, on your phone. Uh, click on the little thing in the right corner. It'll, 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 a menu will drop down. It'll say what, what we do. Click on that. Click on communities, and it's self-explanatory from there. It's super easy. It takes two seconds to sign up. Or the overflow table right outside the, the first level doors. We can sign up physically. There's physical copies you can sign up on. You need to be in a small group because sheep are most vulnerable when they're separated from the flock. And a lot of you, a lot of you have gone rogue. A lot of you are flying solo. We ain't talking about relationships until next week. We're talking about your walk with the Lord. A lot of you are flying solo. So sheep are weak. Sheep are safest when they're with the flock. And here's the third thing. Think about how this sheep got lost. Going back to the parable here. Think about the sheep got, think about how the sheep got lost. Like I imagine that sheep, he's with the flock, right? And uh, he sees this patch of grass and it's really enticing. So he starts eating from the patch of grass. He gets so locked in, short-sighted, focusing on this patch of grass. And, uh, and, and, and some time goes by, he looks up, oh, another patch of grass. Now, he's completely oblivious of the fact that the flock is still over there. Or maybe the shepherd is moving the flock over there or moving the flock further away. He's oblivious to that because he's so locked in on this patch of grass. Then he sees another one, boom, patch of grass, boom, patch of grass, boom, patch of grass. Boom, patch of grass. Boom, patch of grass. And so, so on. And by the time he actually finally looks up, he looks up and realizes, where am I? I don't even know how I got here in the first place. I don't see the flock. I don't see the the shepherd. Where, Where am I? Like, is this not such a perfect picture of how we drift away from Jesus? Listen, what happens when the world gets in the way? We slowly drift away from Jesus. And before we know it, we look up, we can't even see Jesus. We can't even see the rest of the flock. We can't even tell where we are. We can't even tell how to get back. We're lost. It's like Jesus, uh, not Jesus, the, the, think about the sheep in the grass or, or, or Midge and his tennis ball or Midge and that bird that he ended up getting lost in the mountains with. Like we become so distracted by sin that we pay no attention to where it's leading us. And before we know it, we are, we're lost. We're in such deep trouble. And in some cases, we're in danger of even losing our lives. I'd, I'd, love, to be able to, um, I'd love to be able to get inside the, uh, the, the head or the heart, you know, the emotional core of the sheep in this parable. Do, do sheep even have emotions? I don't know. 
you ever hung around sheep? They're pretty bland animals. But uh, I, I, I mean, what do you think that sheep was thinking or feeling when he looked up and realized he was lost, you know? Or, or Midge, you know, the dog. I would love to get inside of his, uh, his, his, his mind, his heart. He does have an emotional core. He's a very sensitive dog. Uh, it, it's really kind of funny. Whenever he uh, knows he has, he, he is, when he messes up, or he does something he knows he shouldn't, and then we like call him on it. He is like devastated. Uh, I'll get down on my knees, and he just like will run over and throw his body against me and start whimpering. Uh, he's a he's a he's a very communicative, vocal, communicative dog. I wish he could talk to you. That'd be pretty cool. Anyways, I, I wish I could have gotten inside of his 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 heart and his mind when he got lost in the mountain. Like, what do you think Midge was thinking and feeling that night alone on the mountain in the snow as mountain lions and I don't know coyotes, wolves, whatever, are howling around him. What do you think he's, he's, he's feeling? You know, went into MacGyver mode or Bear Grylls mode or, or, or whatever, survived the night. He walks out, you know, victorious at the end. But what do you think he was thinking? Let me tell you what. I know what so many people in this room tonight are thinking and feeling. Some of y'all, uh, you're thinking there's no way. There's no way that you'll ever get out of what you're in. Like some of you right now, let alone, think about the people out on campus but I have no doubt this is happening in the room. Some of you, there, there's, uh, you're, you're thinking there's no way I'll be free from this guilt and this shame that I'm feeling. I have no doubt that there are many of you in here that are, that are wondering if you've wandered too far, thinking it's impossible to go back. Some of y'all are straight up terrified and you don't even know where to start to like remove yourself from that terrifying situation. You're cold, you're lonely, you're depressed. Some of y'all, you seriously feel lost, lost uh, to God, lost to hope. Like you have, you've lost hope. Some of you feel lost to usefulness. Like you feel like you will never be useful again. Some of you, you feel lost to joy and and happiness. Will will you ever have that stuff, that that feeling ever again? I want to look back at verse three. So look at this, it says, so Jesus told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Seems kind of a little overboard to, to do that. Verse seven, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So we're the sheep. Listen, Jesus is the shepherd. And there's four words that I want you to pay special attention to. Uh, the four words are, at the very end of verse four, it says, until he finds it. I don't know if you have a pen or you're using an app that you can highlight or underline stuff. I want you to underline that until he finds it. My Bible, I've circled it, drawn an arrow out to the margins, wrote some notes in the margins. But until he finds it, look at verse four again. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? I don't want to dance around the point here. I want you to see this. If, if this is so obviously true of a normal shepherd and his sheep. So like a normal shepherd, if he loses a sheep, it's just obvious. The way Jesus says this parable, it's obvious. That shepherd is going to go looking for that sheep until he finds the sheep. If that's If that's obviously true for a normal shepherd and a sheep, then how much more true is this of Jesus, the greater shepherd, and those that he knows are his? 
Like for those in this room who are wondering if you've wandered too far, done too much, are way too lost, here's your answer. God, Jesus, he has not given up on you. Jesus will never give up on you. No matter how far you've gone, no matter what terrible things you've done, no matter how lost you feel, Jesus is going to pursue you, as his word says, until he finds you. And listen, if that's not enough to convince you, like you're still sitting there thinking, yeah, but bro, you don't, you don't know. You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know the stuff I did this summer. You don't know what's there, the baggage, the junk, the trash. You don't know. If you're still struggling, thinking you've wandered too far, then if nothing else, just look at the cross. Romans chapter five, verses seven and eight says this, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, Jesus didn't die for you uh, because you got your act together and convinced him to do so. Jesus died for you precisely because you don't have your act together. God's love, Jesus' his, his, his love, it's unmatched. It can't be copied. It can't be mimicked. It can't be paralleled. A good shepherd protects his sheep at all costs. Think about this. If a wolf comes after the sheep, the shepherd's going to get in between the wolf and the sheep. He's going to absorb the blow of the wolf towards the sheep. And then he's going to fight that wolf, kill the wolf, destroy the wolf. But Jesus is the greater shepherd. And listen, he gets between us and sin and death. He, he absorbed the blow of sin and death. And he didn't stop there. He fought it and he killed it at the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54 through 57 says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But there's that word again, stop sign of scripture if you were here last week. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of y'all need to hear that tonight. So go back to those four words until he finds it. If, you have, if you've been attending uh, the How to Study the Bible course that I teach on Sunday mornings, uh, shameless plug here at First Baptist Church, 9.30 a.m. in the gym, uh, we are going through this course called How to Study the Bible. If you have not been, you've got to come. It is, uh, I think, crucial to understanding Scripture, um, knowing what you're reading. I know so many of you, you like flip open the Scripture, and you're like, I have no clue what I just read. Uh, or you kind of treat it like a globe, you're a little kid trying to figure out where you want to live and you almost like mash, you know, or whatever. And that's not mash, that's a different game. But uh, you spin the globe and just put your finger down and like, all right, Pacific Ocean, that's where I'm living. Uh, you kind of treat reading the Bible the same way. You just kind of flip through and then wherever your finger lands, that's what you're going to read today. Look, look, that's not a good way to read scripture. I mean, I guess it works. God can speak through that. Some of you are like, bro, I got a story. God spoke through that. That's fine. God can speak through that. But uh, we are learning how to really study the Bible. So anyways, uh, if you have been to that course, you know that when you see a verb in Scripture, there's some questions that you have to ask. One of the questions is, is who's doing the action and who's receiving the action? So look at this. It says, until he finds it. Another thing you learn is you've got you to identify the pronouns. So he is the shepherd. It is what? The sheep. So here's what you need to see. Who's doing the action? The shepherd's doing the action. The sheep didn't find the shepherd. The shepherd found the sheep. Sheep are foolish, helpless, and overall pretty incapable. Like, like sheep need a shepherd. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do without one. And if a sheep gets lost, they're not savvy enough 
to figure out their way back to the flock, back to the fold, back to the shepherd. They can't do that. The only way that they'll be found and make it back is if, is if the shepherd comes after the sheep. Now, again, it's a little bit offensive when you think about it, but we are just like sheep. We're foolish. We're helpless. And honestly, we're pretty incapable because we need to be found. You can't save yourself. You need Jesus to save you. Listen, the first part of experiencing salvation in Jesus Christ is realizing that you're foolish, realizing that you're helpless, realizing that you are incapable of saving yourself. Listen, even our best attempts fall dramatically short of what God requires. Isaiah 64, 6. I was meeting with a group of guys I disciple, three dudes I disciple uh, last week, and we were studying this text together. Sometimes I get them in on the process of preparing a sermon. One of them was like, man, it makes me think of Isaiah 64, 6. Listen to this. Isaiah said, we have all become like one who's unclean. God, speaking through Isaiah, says, we've all become like one who's essentially lost. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, our sin, like the wind, take us away. I mean, it's preaching the same message that we're talking about tonight. But here's what I want you to see in this. And I don't mean to be crass in pointing this out, but it says, we've all become like one who's unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. You know, this is one of the places where the Bible actually dilutes the word that's actually used so that it's not offensive to people. Those two words, polluted garment, you want to know an exact translation of that? It's a, it's a used, bloody, menstrual rag. That's what it says. You look at the Greek, or I'm sorry, you look at the Hebrew that this is written in, that is the exact translation. So essentially, what it's saying is, God is so holy, God is so righteous, that even our best days, even on our best days, we don't even come close to finding him on our own. Even on our best days, our best days are like used minstrel rags before him. So let me just pause for a second. Let me ask this question. Are, are, are you like this lost sheep? Are you like this lost sheep? Do you feel like you have wandered too far beyond ever being found? Do you feel like you're drowning in guilt and shame and embarrassment from some terrible, irreversible decisions you've made? Are you gasping for air? Listen, if that's you, You've got to hear this. There's hope. And there's hope because Jesus pursues until he finds. That's the message of the sermon right there. Until he finds. Here's what he's doing. He's the greater shepherd. He is taking his shepherd's staff. He's tracked you down and he's holding out that staff, waiting for you to see it and reach out to grab it so he can pull you out of that thicket that you're caught in. Or the one who feels like they're drowning. He has tracked you down. He's found you out in the middle of this busy ocean. And he is reaching out his hand, waiting for you to see it, simply, simply to grab it so he can save you and pull you out. I, I want you to see this. Verse 5. It says, when he, when he has found it, when the shepherd has found the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Listen, nothing brings the shepherd more joy than to find a lost sheep. Think about the last time you lost your cell phone. 
How many of you have recently lost or misplaced your cell phone? Put it up. Where's my wife? <laughs> she over here? Oh, she had to leave. She had to take the dog out. Sure, her hand would have to be up if she wouldn't. She'd be lying. This is, a, this is like a... This is a common occurring thing in the Wadlow household. And uh, we always find it some random place, like the freezer or something. Not, not the freezer, but just somewhere totally random, you know? It's like, how did you even put it there? I put my phone, it's always, always, it's either always in my pocket or I have like three places I put it in. So I never lose it. Watch, I'm going to lose it probably like tonight. But so how many, I didn't see the hands. How many of you have recently lost your phone? That was probably a relatively traumatic incident, right? Like some of y'all got borderline emotional. <laughs> you know I'm right. When you lost your phone. Some of y'all thinking, oh, that'd be terrible if I lost my phone. You're, you're getting emotional just thinking about losing your phone. Uh, in college, uh, I, I lost my cell phone. Like, like, well, I'll tell you the story. I lost my cell phone. Now, this was quite a while ago, so pre-smartphones. So our lives were not nearly as connected to our phone as they are now. But it was still a big deal to lose your cell phone, okay? Uh, so I lost my cell phone. And I look all over my dorm room for the cell phone. Uh, can't find it. Uh, so earlier that day, me and some buddies, we'd played Frisbee golf. I know I, f- I feel like I'm pegging myself. Anybody, any other frolfers in here? Uh, a couple of y'all? Okay. Uh, that's, a, that's a part of my past. Anyways, um, so we, we kind of had designed this imaginary course on the campus. And so I, I literally walked the whole course looking in the grass and the bushes uh, wherever I had been playing Frisbee golf, trying to find my phone. I spent hours looking for my phone. I couldn't find it. So I go back to the room looking for my phone. I asked my roommate, Chad, I was like, dude, have you seen my cell phone? He's like, no, nah, man, I haven't seen it. So I look through my room, can't find my cell phone. Go down to my car, can't find my cell phone. And finally, uh, kind of like Leslie and her family did with Mitch, I just kind of had to give up. Couldn't find it. I looked everywhere, spent hours looking for this thing. Seriously, literally hours. So I crawl in bed that night. And I don't know if you're like me, I sleep on my stomach. So my hands go underneath my pillow. And what do you know what was under my, my pillow? My cell phone. So I had just gotten in bed. Chad had just gotten in bed. I find my cell phone. I was like, what the heck? How did my cell phone end up under my pillow? And Chad pops up and he goes, oh yeah, I forgot. I put it under your pillow earlier because it was vibrating on your desk, driving me nuts. I'm like, are you stinking serious? <laughs> I asked you and he's like, I totally forgot. My bad, man. I totally forgot. I totally forgot. Doesn't that make you just like want to punch Chad? You don't even know Chad. You want to punch Chad. <laughs> Like some of y'all, you lost your phone and like it gets, it's an emotional experience. And then when you find it, like it's even, you're like tearing up. You're like, my life is back in my hands. Well, look at this. Luke 15 verse seven, it says, just so Jesus, he's now applying this parable to our lives. And he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Listen, this is the only time I, I, that I know of in scripture where anything like this is said. Nothing sets off a party in heaven like when a lost sheep gets found. Look at verse 7 again. Look at this. Pay attention to the words. It says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What specifically brings heaven so much joy? Now think about this. It's not you being you. Like That's what the world tells us, right? Oh, bro, you, you do you, I do me. Like You be you, boo, right? That's what the world is. Telling us. But that's not what brings heaven joy when you embrace you and be you. It doesn't even say filling up the Lyceum, having people sitting over here in the little entryway. That's not even what brings heaven joy. What does it say brings heaven the most joy? There's a word I'm looking for there. Starts with an R, ends with repentance. Repentance. Listen, repentance is what brings heaven joy. Do you know what repentance is? 
Here's what repentance is. It's realizing you're wrong and then turning around and going the other way. Look, Jesus, he is constantly calling us, wanting us to change. Now, the world, like I was saying, the world's preaching this message into your life, saying, you are perfect just the way you are. I wish I could have queued up Bruno Mars right then, you know? Just the way, I can't sing, I can't sing. Anyways, and listen, the world is saying, you are perfect just the way you are. In fact, the world says, it's offensive to tell you otherwise. Got to be all politically correct and stuff. This is why the gospel message is so offensive today. Because this is where it starts. It starts by saying, you are not perfect just the way you are. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are not perfect just the way you are. No, 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 no. Now you got to say it. Listen, you got Some of y'all are like, yes, I'm going to say this. I've been wanting to say this. Now say it to him like Bruno would. You're not perfect just the way you are. Come on, do it. Some of y'all are like, man, I don't know this fool up on stage. I ain't doing that junk. Listen to me. This is why the gospel message is so offensive today, because it starts by saying you are not perfect just the way you are. Listen, nothing brings the shepherd more joy than to find a lost sheep. Nothing brings Jesus more joy than when we repent. Nothing brings him more joy than when we realize we are so lost and need help, so we reach out and grab his hand. One more thing I want to show you, verse 7. Some of y'all realizing right now, you need to reach out and grab his hand. Verse 7, again, just so I tell you, Jesus says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. If you've read this before, you can't ignore that phrase at the end. Then over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Like that, that sounds weird. And it sounds weird because Jesus is being extremely sarcastic. Here's the big final point. If you're taking notes, you got to write this down. Big final point right here. Everyone needs repentance. I'll say that again. Everyone needs repentance. Y'all say that after me. Everyone needs repentance. repentance. Some are just too self-righteous to realize it. I'll say it again. Everyone needs repentance. Some are just too self-righteous to realize it. This goes back to the first two verses in this parable, which, if you notice, we skipped over. It's because I wanted to save this for the end. Go back to verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And what were the Pharisees and scribes doing? It says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then you get to verse 3 where it says, So Jesus told them this parable. So the whole reason this parable gets told in the first place is because what we just saw happen in verses 1 and 2. And here's what we see happen in verse 1 and 2. We see two distinct pictures. Picture number 1. Picture number 1, we see sinners and tax collectors drawing near to Jesus so that they could hear him. Picture number 2, we see the Pharisees and the scribes standing in the back and grumbling as these sinners walk by to squeeze in closer to Jesus. And here's what Jesus is trying to help us see. You either know you're a sinner and tax collector, so you draw near to Jesus, you squeeze in closer to hear him, be close to him, or you think you've got your stuff together, so you stand in the back and grumble as all those other sinners walk by to get close to Jesus. And here's the big final truth again. Everyone needs repentance. Some are just too self-righteous to realize it. 
All of us fall into one of those two categories. Picture number one, sinner, tax collector, pushing in close to Jesus to, to hear him. Or picture number two, Pharisee scribe, somebody who thinks they got their stuff together, standing in the back, grumbling as those other sinners walk by. Which picture are you? Here's the reality. Some of you tonight, this is the night that Jesus finds you. And if that's you, you have two responses. They go together. First response is you repent. You repent. You realize that you're wrong and you turn the other way. You realize that you are hopeless, foolish, helpless, incapable of saving yourself. And you've wandered off in your sin. You realize you are lost. You realize that you have no idea where you are. You realize you don't have a way to get back to the flock. You repent. And number two, you reach out. You reach out realizing that because of what Jesus did on the cross. And he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later. So that he could then begin the process of reaching out and pulling us out of condemnation to hell because of our sin. Reach out. Realize that he's standing there reaching out. He's found you. You just got to repent. Reach out. Take that salvation from Christ. Let me pray for us. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.